Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. But it's here because you're listening to it on a Thursday, our post day, where we bring you new episodes, as always, totally free, available at Apple Podcast and PodcastOne.com. Thank you for downloading, streaming, and listening and subscribing around the world. It is greatly appreciated, as usual. All the interviews you hear on the Eddie Trunk Podcast originate on my daily radio show, Trunk Nation, heard live Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Radio Channel 106, Volume Live 2 to 4 Eastern, replay 9 to 11 Eastern, or on demand on the SiriusXM app. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, I certainly hope you join me and listen every day on volume. If you're outside of those countries, well, you get a little taste of what I'm doing with my radio gig each and every day in the U.S. on volume, SiriusXM channel 106. So today on the podcast, two interviews for you. We're going to start with King Diamond's. And follow it up with Josh Todd, lead singer and sole original member remaining in the band Buck Cherry. We'll do Josh second. We'll start off with King Diamond first. Both of these interviews happened, I'd say, about two to three weeks ago. Uh, King Diamond talking about an upcoming new album and an announced tour, which kicks off in a month or so. So very topical, still very relevant content here. Josh Todd talking about the band's latest album, War Paint, the departure of co-founding member Keith Nelson, and how the heck they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps after their major label album deal went away and against all odds created their biggest record independently a number of years ago and how the hell they scored a huge hit with a song called Crazy Bitch. Hear all those stories coming up with Josh Todd, the second interview of a double dip here on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. Before we get to the interviews, let me tell you about my cats because I love my cats, Leo and Maddox. Uh, my family loves uh, the cats. We love everything about the cats, their individual personalities, 
how much fun they are to have. And uh, just generally, we are cat people in the trunk household. And if you're a cat person, you know there is something special about cats. Everyone, different physical features, different personalities. The only thing you don't love about cats, if you have them, is cleaning up after them in the litter box. And that's why Arm & Hammer created new cloud control litter. Now, if you have regular old litter, it can make such a dusty mess. You can find the stuff all over the floors. You can find the dust from it in your curtains and on your furniture. Not fun. With Arm & Hammer cloud control, there's no cloud of nasties when you scoop. 100% dust free, free of heavy perfumes. You don't want to be breathing those heavy scents in and neither do your cats. And it helps reduce airborne dander from scooping. So what happens in the litter box stays in that litter box, which is exactly what you want. New cloud control cat litter by Arm & Hammer. More power to you. Everything I got going on is on the homepage of eddytrunk.com. So be sure to have a look and come out and see me if I am headed your way. And be sure to follow on Twitter at Eddie Trunk, where I am most up to the second with news, info, and updates. And, of course, be sure to check out eddytrunk.com. Follow on Instagram as well, at Eddie Trunk. Fan page on Facebook, also simply at my name, at Eddie Trunk. Be sure to look for the fan page. I am not active on the personal page, so don't try to reach me there. And you can always email me. Eddie at eddytrunk.com would be the email address. A lot of other big stuff coming up. We are very close now to Exit 111, which I'll be hosting in Manchester, Tennessee, and extremely close now to the Megadeth Cruise, the Mega Cruise, which I'll also be on board broadcasting my volume show. So a lot of big stuff coming up and uh, bring you guys along with me wherever I can on the radio show and, of course, via social media on Twitter. So because we have two interviews and a lot of content to get to this week, I'm going to keep this open pretty short, and uh, we'll get to those interviews starting with King Diamond right after this on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, my thanks once again to Arm & Hammer. Arm & Hammer created new cloud control litter, and they sponsor today's episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. There's no cloud of nasties when you scoop. 100% dust-free, free of heavy perfumes, helps reduce airborne dander from scooping. So what happens in the cat's litter box stays in the litter box. If you're a cat person like me, new cloud control cat litter by Arm & Hammer. More power to you. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. As promised, King Diamond checked into my radio show a couple weeks ago talking about his upcoming tour and also talking about a new album and doing some reunion stuff with Merciful Fate. Enjoy King Diamond right now, our first of two interviews on this week's podcast. King, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Eddie? Good, good. Man, you sound like you got a, a lot of busy stuff coming up. We're going to talk about all of it here in a second. But first and foremost, uh, tell me how life has been being a dad. Because last time I spoke to you, you your child, uh, your son, you have a son, right? He was born just around the time that I spoke to you last. Yeah, and he's been uh, on tour a couple of times now. He's doing really good on tour. That, that's uh, a very positive thing. So uh, it makes life a little easier when we're out there. 
So he was in Europe uh, on the, the 10 dates we did over there uh, this summer. and uh, Perfect. How, how old is he now? He's two and a half. Two and a half, and he's been on tour in Europe already. And when you're on stage playing, where do you put him? Is he in the wings of the stage? Uh, no, he runs around backstage. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, erases everybody, I guess. He's uh, busy with our tour manager, runs around with him, you know, and uh, yeah, he, he sees uh, life from, from the other side. And uh, he, he's not rocking King Diamond makeup yet, is he? No, but he sees it quite often because, uh, you know, I'll come off stage and there he is, and he comes straight over to me, you know. It's, uh, it doesn't bother me. I probably look more like a clown than a horror figure. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That is very cool. So, uh, speaking of touring, you've announced a tour here in the U.S., which a lot of people are excited about. And I know you live in the Dallas area, so you're you're kicking it off right in your backyard at the Bomb Factory, uh, which is a great venue on November second. It'll be the first date. Tell me about the tour. Yeah, it's going to be amazing, man. It's uh, 23 shows uh, with Unglassed, uh and uh, also Idle Hands. Uh, coming with us, you know, so it's a very strong package and uh, it's going to be great to, to uh, have them out with us uh, and uh, really look forward to it because it's, it's a brand new show, you know, we had it uh, over in Europe, but when we played in Europe, it was still uh, and is still uh, a work in progress, you can say. Uh, we played a new song over in Europe, uh, brand new, uh, had a new intro as well. Um, the new song is almost uh, recorded completely. Uh, there's a few details missing. So we played it without it being finally uh, recorded, you know, and being uh, 100% complete, uh, which was interesting, you know, and uh, the fans totally loved it. So that was very, very nice to to see. And we got great reviews from, from all the, the journalists over there. So uh, it was a great uh, stint, you know, and um, uh, we got to test the, the new production, which is one story taller than the last one. And oh wow! That's one of the one of the challenges to to move around on, I can tell you now. Suddenly, uh, where where I would have to get up to the top for for certain uh, passages, you know, after uh, saying the say uh, second verse of a song, I had to get up during Andy's uh, guitar solo. I had so and so long. Now I had to get up there faster because uh, there's one extra flight of stairs to get up there, and I don't like heights, so I don't know why we put this up. But it, <laughs> it's kind of like challenging yourself all the time, you know, and it's it's really a uh, I didn't expect it to be the way it is up there. I expected it to be where like I'm up very high and I don't like those kind of things, but that's like one of these things trying to overcome it. But when you get up there, because we also moved the drums up on the second floor, so they are under me who is up on, on one, one higher. And when I stand up there uh, and drums are playing, the whole thing starts moving up there. And it is fast and properly, and it says there are certificates for the whole stuff, and they, they told me that. So I believe them. But uh, it really does move like you're on a ship up there. And, um, yeah, sometimes I have to close my eyes just to concentrate. Sing now, just sing, forget this movement. So it's interesting. It's very different. Who comes up with okay. these? Who comes up with the ideas for your stage design? Is it mostly you, or do you have other people that you work with on it? Because you've always been known for big theatrical shows, and your your show seems to get bigger every time you go out. As you said, you you just uh, added a level to it for this next run. Is this stuff that comes from you, or do you work with the team on it? Well, both, I would say. A lot comes from me, you know, uh, and then the, the, our lighting engineer. 
uh, and uh, Andy as well is involved, you know. So uh, we we work together. I have usually the most of the initial ideas, and uh, this time it was moving the drums up so we could uh, make room downstairs for for a door. A lot of the, the things on stage are uh, real replicas from uh, uh, you can say from uh, asylums, uh, which is what the the new story is about. It it'll uh, last for two albums this story so uh, we're still working on that first one you know and uh, that's what's been reflected uh, on, on on stage you know there's a, a cell doll which is a copy of one that we have seen on photos and we are using some instruments that uh, Anon is the unfortunate recipient of uh, some some electronic uh, the shock treatment you know that we are showing and uh, there is uh, other stuff. Uh, there's there's a, a cell that we saw there that uh, an inmate had drawn all these kind of stick figures. It looked very creepy over her bed. And uh, we have that on stage too. You'll see that up on the second floor. There's a corner there. And there's blood splatters, uh, blood splatters uh, here and there, you know, from, from interactions between guards and, and, and inmates and, and inmates to inmates. Uh, it's part of the story, you know, but there's so much more in the story than just talk about uh, as if that wasn't enough though actually but, but uh, uh, asylums from the 1920s that's that's the, the time frame but there's something very different and, and extra involved in this so i mean there is something uh, without going too deep uh, that uh, if i just say uh, parallel universe so there is some some buildings that uh, that uh, uh, cross you can cross over through one is uh, saint lucifer's church on the other side, it is St. Lucifer's Hospital, or also known as the Institute, which is the title of the new album, or will be the title. And um, so there's a lot of things that, that have been used. There's a mask involved as well that the, our actress Jody made, uh, which is a copy of a 17th century mask that was used for inmates uh, to make them uh, have a hard time hurting others, biting them, you know, could bite themselves either or scratch their own eyes out and stuff like that. And uh, you're, you're from New Jersey, right? Yes. Yeah, so you know Byberry. Who? Do you know the name Byberry? Byberry, no. I, I There was an institute. Oh, there was That's an institute that? very, very, very close to where I live called Greystone. Uh-huh. Oh, that's right. So, so the one I was told about, there was Jody, our actress. That's Philadelphia. That's a place called Byberry. That I read up a lot of uh, and, and saw some photos from, and uh, man, uh, creepy stuff. It was active up till the nineties, so um, it makes it a little, little scarier when you hear that and then read some of these stories and hear how a lot of them uh, didn't make it. You know the way they didn't make it is it's uh, absolutely horrifying stuff. Yeah, well, we we had one, we had a institute that was, I mean, literally one of the where I was living at one point was almost walking distance to it, and it had built been built in the eighteen hundreds, and this Ooh. this uh, this institute called Greystone, it, it, it's still there, but it's been rebuilt and it's a newer hospital. But the original one that was that only was demolished like less than ten years ago was built in the eighteen hundreds, and it was the largest footprint of any building in America outside of the Pentagon. That's how big it was. And when they went in there and they closed it in sections, but people would break into it and try to take photos and go in there. 
and the yeah. the old equipment that was in there, and there were catacombs under the building. It, it was just a crazy thing, and oh, it's right. all been imploded. But you're right. I mean, those are some really creepy sites. Ooh, yes, creepy sites, creepy things, uh, things that should probably never have happened. Some of it, of course, uh, in the name of science, you know, sometimes, uh, and, and and some of it actually with, with positive results too. But the 1920s was also the time when. When things started moving uh, in in the medical field, you know, where, where they found new ways of operating that actually helped people, you know, instead of just treating a hole if they had a bad headache, you know. Right. Uh, that, that, that's a, it, it's a very interesting subject, but this goes into a whole different dimension. And then when we get to the story on on the album number two, that uh, is caused in the future, but uh, the story is already written for that. Uh, things are taking a drastic turn to. Uh, people would say, oh, yeah, I could have seen a little bit of that in the, in the first album, but now I clearly see what's going on here. And it'll be reflected on the stage, too, you know. So we have a lot of, of great plans for all this stuff, you know. And so the U.S. tour will, will, will happen, you know, and uh, with that new set and new songs. When new songs get done, we start playing them live. Uh, so so right, now, right now you have one new song from the upcoming album that's planned to be in the show. Yeah, the, the, the intro... And the one new song, and I will definitely have one more done that will be called Voltage, which is one that has to do with uh, some special equipment that we saw pictures of, you know. And uh, we uh, we changed, I don't know if we changed uh, the way they were used, but we made our own way of we recovered them, and then we are using them as if they are shock treatments. Uh, we saw a person that sat with these two, uh, it looks like very big, uh, old-fashioned uh, headphones or something like that, and the person that, that had this close up to his head, there are these long poles. He had bandages around the top of his head and his neck. So I'm like, it cannot be good anyway. So, but we are using that in, in a certain uh, passage for, for the story as well, you know. So, and then there's the title track that I'm working on as well. So if it gets done, then that will be on stage too, you know. So we hope so. And that second track, you yeah, said what, the second track is called Voltage? Yes, that's one that will be done uh, by the time we, we uh, go on stage on tour. So just so we're clear, just so we're clear here, King, the record, the Institute record, is going to be a two-part concept record released separately at two different times. Yeah, exactly. And when will the first when will the first part be available? Do you have an exact release date for the the the, the not first exact, record? Not exact, but but uh, in all the promotion star materials, it says uh, in uh, two thousand twenty. Uh, that it'll be out there uh, during the spring, I would hope, you know, because that's a, uh, so, so it might be, be, uh, which is like premiered probably uh, when we are doing uh, South American uh, dates in the spring 2020. So it's going to go and go. Um, and, and I don't want to say that it is a project that is happening uh, as we speak. And we've opened the door early this time. We've never done it before. We never played a song that was not fully recorded yet, you know, uh, until this tour. Um, I know they're still working on drums at the moment. Andy uh, just received some drums from Matt this weekend. I think it was some some uh, new drum tracks where he had some things that he wanted to correct, you know. So uh, it, it is a, a work in project, and it's very interesting to be part of Because also the stage, uh, something new was added, when we played, 
was it down in the Czech Republic or uh, the very last one in Germany? Um, a, a, a certain cross that looks like it's in neon, but one of these that it, it, it flickers because it's not. They don't have the power they need at this place, uh, the institute, and uh, that is part of the bigger story as well. You know, in the end. But, you you love you love concept records. You love doing conceptual things. I know that throughout your history, were you, were you, were there concept records for you as a kid growing up in in Denmark, or even when you came to America? Are there are there certain concept records that you were a fan of that really got you excited about doing music in a conceptual way? Uh, yeah, e- even though they were not horror albums, that was uh, it was just that it was uh, well, the Who, of course, did some, you know, and uh, Peter Gable and Genesis did some stuff, you know. Uh, and his Kubel welcome went to his uh, my nightmare was uh, specifically live was was very conceptual because he was just he was thrown through all these nightmares, but he really illustrated them on stage in such a great way that was back in '75, you know. And so, so some of those uh, albums. Uh, of course, had a, a big uh, influence on me. You know, I, I really uh, felt there was something special uh, when you had that whole story. You could, you got deeper into the characters that was portrayed than, than just a single song can really do. You know, uh, in most cases, anyway. So those uh, were. But when we did uh, Abigail specifically, you know, is uh, probably the first uh, uh, concept that was uh, set in a horror setting. And uh, before that, I don't, I don't know what would have been. Uh, you can say it's Cuba, of course, but but it, it was a different type of horror, you know. So, uh, and it was very conceptual. It was not just the okay, these things happen in the same place. It was an actual story, you know, that, that took place. Um, so uh, yeah, that, that's that's uh, been some interesting. And when we started, I wanted to do that even when we did Mutual Fate. It just wasn't. Um, it didn't fit Merciful Fate to do that. Mm. So the most we ever did Merciful Fate was just a couple of songs together. We did the the, the Shadows album uh, where there was three songs together. You know, uh, and um, it has never really fit Merciful Fate, which also is going to be interesting because 2020, after we've done King Diamond uh, South America, Merciful Fate started playing some shows in Europe. So uh, Yeah, I wanted to ask you then, about that. How did, how did that come about? It's been in the works for a couple of years where we've been talking a little bit about it here and there, you know, and uh, knowing that uh, all the stars would have to align properly for it to be possible and be done the right way because it's not going to be just Mercy Bros. will go out and play some background shows. It will be uh, done so it looks and, and sounds exactly like it should. I mean, Hank Sherman has gone all the way back and found his old guitar from the video LP and he actually found the right pickup and put it back in, and he says it sounds fully authentic from back then. And uh, he's working with the drama uh, just to create uh, different stuff. You know, he has some stuff already uh, that he has not played for me yet, but uh, I'm going to listen to it in not too long. And uh, I will be writing some stuff too, of course. Um, but it's very much like in the old days. Uh, and we will write some new songs that are on purpose, like the mini LP, the Melissa album, and Don't Break the Oath. And those are the only albums we're going to play from live. So it's going to be like the early, early days, but with a major production. And you're going to do, so you're going to do new music with Merciful Fate as well, huh? 
a full album? Is the plan to do a full album maybe next year? We would love to do that. Uh, we'll see what happens. But there's definitely going to be new songs. Uh, full album, we would love to do it. Well, you got a lot going on. Let me ask you this. How's your health? Because anybody that knows anything about you know that you went through serious serious heart issues and uh, had open heart surgery and you took you a really long time to get your wind back to be able to sing and be able to work a stage again. Now you're out on a huge stage. You just had three levels singing all this music, now doing two bands, basically your own, and then doing stuff with Merciful Fate. So you've taken on a big workload here. You must be feeling great, huh? Yeah, it's uh, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, live uh, according to doctor's orders. Uh, that's the only way to do it, you know. Uh, so um, I, I actually don't have problems getting up and down the stairs. There, it's uh, it's a matter of being in in, uh, in the right condition, you know, uh, to do it. So um, I don't feel any different now that there's an extra set of stairs to taking those songs. It's not like uh, uh, the heartbeat is higher or this or that, or I can't wait to turn it off. You know, it's not at all. It's it just works fine, absolutely. Those who just saw us in, in Europe, I'm sure they would uh, vouch for that. You know, so it, it's uh, just do what the doctor says. You know, and that's uh, for me, it's work uh, uh, with uh, all four times a week, preferably. You know, that we take walks. They've gotten longer because we are doing it at a different place than just in the neighborhood here. So we are walking 40, 50 minutes each time instead of 20 minutes. You know, but. It's a nicer place we found to walk, you know, and it has elevation, all this stuff. So that helps also on, on the whole conditioning. And um, and then, it, of course, the food matters a lot. You smoked, and, you uh, smoked for many years too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, did, you, were, did you knock that off? Do you no longer smoke? No, I haven't had it. Not even, uh, if I smell a cigarette, I'm gone, you know. Because it, it, uh, it was since, since the, the operation, uh, yeah. both me and my wife. With uh, cold turkey, but never had a, another track. And it's not uh, easy for, for a lot of people, but we had no problem. So in some way, it was uh, it, it was a, a thing that we liked. We had no idea if we could quit. When we suddenly had to quit, we were like, oh, my God, this is not going to work. How, how are we going to do this? And then we just did it, and that was it. Wow, good for you because that's that's uh, I've talked to musicians who have had all sorts of addictions and issues and they will say the hardest thing they had to do among above anything was to actually stop smoking. Fortunately, I never started, so I don't know what the, what it's like, but a lot of people who smoke have told me that that's the hardest thing to kick of anything you might be hooked on, but for you it was just instant and cold turkey. And I guess when you're faced with what you were faced with, which was all the hard stuff you went through, it's it, there's really no choice. It's just like, okay, I'm going to do this now. Yeah, that's uh, we're doing uh, rehab. You know, where where when I started the, the rehab, I could barely get off on the, the treadmill. You know, it, it was that serious, and. Uh, there was a, another guy uh, that was two two uh, stations down, I think, for me. Um, I heard uh, a conversation between him and a, and a nurse where, where the nurse uh, said, well, have you just smoked or what? There's something, your numbers are really high. Here. And I said, no, 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 of course not. Well, then we need to get you up to an intensive care or something like that because this is wrong. Oh, okay, okay, I just had half a cigarette outside. Oh. Before you came here, she said, would you do me a favor? Go home and die at home. And let <laughs> someone else want to 
live have this space, you know. Uh, so that they were tough, you know, but they were serious. And uh, I guess he uh, he stayed there, so uh, so he tried, but he might have been one of those that would have a very hard time getting over uh, serious, you know. Hey, and you know what else I wanted to always ask you before I let you go? What What do you, because you keep up with new music and you like a lot of newer bands and things like that. What are your thoughts about Ghost and what they're doing? Are you a fan? I like a lot of what they're doing, you know. I mean, it's, uh, uh, I specifically uh, like the third album. Uh, there was a, a development that, that spoke a lot to me. Um, there was uh, not just the production was really amazing. There was a very good production, but the uh, the addition to having more guitar solos in the music and the, there was some really uh, cool riffs and stuff going on, you know. So it, uh, that album I really really liked. You know, the first two was uh, in a different I don't know, just so in a different light. It was uh, all progressing like uh, for ourselves, you know. I, I can't because I'm not saying anything bad here, but it was more uh, simple or more primitive, you can say. Mm-hmm. Like, Mercial Fate was more primitive uh, when we did our ELP, much more primitive than when we did Melissa. Because suddenly we had more time in the studio, which is one of the things that often uh, has something to do with whether you're allowed to do your arrangements as you plan them or not. Because it takes time, and time is money, you know, uh, in the re- recording industry. So when we went in and did our... Uh, uh, First, the menial people most of it. I had planned all these big, uh, elaborate choirs and stuff for those songs, and they told us you have two days. One is recording, the other is mixed. That's it. Okay, you can get. Okay, you can get one extra voice. You said, "What can I do with that? I can double the lead or something." Uh, so, so that was it for us. So, and you came in, and we suddenly got. Uh, was it uh, eight days or something like that to do Melissa? And then it was like, wow. No, now we can do what we wanted to do, you know. So, uh, so that's uh, the 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 direction you, that I hear there. That the, in the beginning there wasn't really guitar solos, uh, uh, but it had that uh, early rawness that that uh, Mercial Fate had. Without comparing the music, because I think the music was completely, they were sounding more like I would say a Blue Oyster Cult than than anything we ever did, you know. Yeah, well, the, re- the, the reason why the reason why I bring it up is because that is the one thing that you I've heard a lot about that band. People say that they see it. It's it's sort of like a cross between Blue Oyster Cult and it, at least in the theatrical end. I don't think musically, but sort of like a King Diamond sort of presentation. And I I just wondered if you ever met uh, Tobias and you know him, and if you 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 know you uh, you can't not see what's going on with them because they've gotten tremendously big uh, doing oh this. My God. But but the music, I agree with you about the music. The thing with, that I've always found, um, and I had him on the show, and he's a very smart guy, and he was really interesting oh, to I, talk to. But it does. I but musically, it. I agree. I want it to be a little chunkier and a little heavier. I don't think the music necessarily matches the the visual and the image. But that also may have been something he was going for. Oh, absolutely. I think so. I mean, that that it's, it's like uh, from from. My viewpoint, when I see, uh, look at them, they have a very uh, specific uh, goal, and yeah. uh, they go for, it. and uh, and they are achieving it too. You know, it, it looks like. So, uh, but I had the, the pleasure of meeting him backstage, and when we played Sweden uh, here this summer, uh, but it was very short. You know, it was just uh, he came by, and there was a couple of people with him. You know, and they, I was standing in full makeup, just finished the show, 
uh, backstage, you know. So it was a very quick, but he seemed very, very nice. And uh, it'd be great to talk to him someday, you know, in way more depth, you know, about uh, yeah, the industry overall and, and what we've done, you know. So Yeah, well, I'm sure he's a fan, and I'm sure you were an influence on him like you were on so many and continue to be on so many of the rock and metal artists, and I, that's why I was wondering about oh, I was, that. I was very honored to see that he was wearing a King Diamond pin on his jacket. You know? Oh! <laughs> that's nice to, that's nice to see those. You know, like when I met Rob Halford not too long ago, uh, but there was only the second time in my life, you know, uh, in Dallas, and uh, had such a nice talk with him both before and after the show, you know, and he's always, those couple of times, he's been the perfect uh, gentleman, you know, and uh, fantastic to talk to him and, and, and hear that he also listens to our stuff, you know, and so, like, yeah, well, we listen to each other. I, I believe, I kid, definitely, I listen to you guys. And, and also, like, uh, that, that he said, hey, it would be great if we could tour someday together, you know. Wow. So that it, it'll take a lot to to make things uh, fit, I'm sure, you know. But uh, I would love to tour with them, of course, if it was possible. But uh, it's nice to hear that kind of uh, respect, you know, and then that, that, that uh, mutual respect. That's, that's a great thing. Yeah, for sure. Well, King, I appreciate some time here. Hopefully, I'll get to see you soon if I get to Dallas and do the show again from uh, my friend's guitar store there, Guitar Sanctuary. I'll hit you up and we'll yeah. we'll do a whole show yeah. together. That was a, a fun time when we got together there in in Texas. And uh, we'll remind everybody again that the tour is kicking off in Texas, in Dallas, at the Bomb Factory, a great venue, November 2nd. And all of the dates, wherever people are listening around the country, uh, you can go to kingdiamondcoven.com and hit the tour tab, and you'll see everything listed there. Right now it wraps up in Phoenix on December 4th. And uh, it's a pretty good run, as King said. Brand new stage set going to be in there, and uh, a new song or two. So everybody's definitely looking forward to that. It should be awesome. We're playing some old songs too that we have never played on a tour. We played them maybe once or twice on stage, you know. But the uh, the lake is a, an old uh, one that we are bringing on, and uh, there's another one uh, behind these walls. Uh, so that something that that the the fans have been asking for, but not really thinking that we would do and now we're doing them and it's very fun to, uh, a lot of fun to play them uh it's the one of the 34 years old you know so it's uh it, it's the one that brought out of the closet and uh, and if you have to be as on uh sometime soon tell him big hi for me you know i absolutely will and we'll look forward to the institute coming sometime next year first uh part one and then part two will come sometime after and any timetable on the merciful fate record uh, that would be, uh, it's supposed to be, uh, songs should be finished by the time we hit stage. Absolutely. That would be new songs in the set when we hit stage in Europe 2020. So do you, or do you plan to tour in the U.S. at some point with Merciful Fate as well? I would love to. It's just right now, it's only set for, for uh, specific festivals in Europe. Okay. And then we'll see what happens. Then we'll see what happens. Uh, but uh, all doors are open. We'll see what happens, yeah. Well, that is great to hear. My thanks to King Diamond. Great to talk to him. Always fun to spend some time with King. Look forward to a new record, some Merciful Fate activity, and of course those King Diamond dates which are announced and coming up very soon. Coming up next, we'll be visited by Josh Todd, the sole original member and lead singer of the band Buck Cherry. That's after this. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, it's time to turn it up with your new favorite podcast, Expeditiously with T.I. here on Podcast One. 
Join the rapper, entrepreneur, family man, and activist as he bridges the gap and sheds light on important social topics and much more in an authentic eyebrow-raising dialogue that might make you want to pull out your dictionary. Download new episodes of Expeditiously with T.I. every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Congratulations to Caitlin Bristow on her People's Choice Award nomination. We're so proud to have her as part of the Podcast One family. I don't even care if I win or not. Yeah, I do, but I'm like, <laughs> I can't believe I've been nominated. It's amazing. Wow. It's like, Congratulations. Really, so proud I am. Thank you. Be sure you visit the People's Choice Awards website at pca.eonline.com to cast your vote for Off the Vine with Caitlin Bristow. You can vote up to 25 times... This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Interview number two on this week's podcast. It is with the lead singer from the band Buck Cherry, band I got a lot of history with, a band I really have a lot of respect for because they play completely live, which unfortunately is becoming somewhat of a rarity these days. And uh, I really give them a lot of respect for that. So that and their perseverance and their work and how much they continue to tour. The band is down to one original member, Josh Todd, their lead singer. Uh, Stevie D now really assuming that right-hand man role in the band as Josh's co-writer and co-conspirator, if you will. Their latest album is out now called War Paint. Spend some time getting some updates and some information and some history with Josh Todd right now on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. JT, how are you, man? What's up, Trunk Nation? Uh, I'm great, man. Nice to be on the show, and uh, I'm actually at home at this point in time, and uh, it's been nice. But not for long, right? I saw another list of tour dates come out. <laughs> Yeah, there's a, a two-week run coming up in uh, September, and, and we're going to be going to Australia and Japan and doing that towards the end of the year, and that'll be amazing, and the, and the UK again, and, and then uh, we'll close out the year. Do you, where Where is uh, currently, you know, I was talking earlier before you obviously were on with us about the the arc of Buck Cherry, if you will, from the very beginning, from the first record to Time Bomb, which to me is still a great record and it blows my mind, wasn't a huge record. And then the resurgence, how you did 15 on your own, the whole arc of the whole thing. Where we sit now in 2019, where's the biggest audience for Buck Cherry in the world? Because you guys play all over. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a tough question. You know, the UK is really... Uh, getting great for us but it's not like the biggest place um i would still say like the states are uh where we do the majority of our business for sure and when you guys tour as much as you do for you as the lead singer and as the front guy in the band a lot of times when i talk to bands the the other guys in the band will tell me that the challenge is getting the singer to want to get out and tour and play every night because he's worried about rest, he's worried about his voice and all that. I've seen you countless times, and I, I've never seen you have an off night or a bad night. You're always Josh. You're always out there doing your thing and, and singing well and all that. But how did, is it tough for you at times I mean, as you get older? Has it been a challenge? Oh, I definitely have off nights uh, for sure, but, um, you know, I don't, you know, we don't play to tracks, so pre-recorded tracks, which uh, God bless you. really, it's really kind of uh, plaguing the rock, uh, live rock music now. So, um, 
you know what I mean? So if if you are a singer and you're having a bag night, you can rely on perfectly tuned uh, vocals coming through the PA, which is what a lot of these bands are doing. So it makes it tough for us, you know, when, you know, I was always taught, I come from the old school where, you know, if you're sick, you got to just, you know, you got to do the best you can working on maybe 70% of your voice or 50% of your voice. And, and I've dealt with it all, you know, um, I don't like to cancel shows and, and so, um, yeah, you know, uh, I've always been a really competitive guy. I'm really passionate about my craft. I take really good care of myself and I enjoy performing, you know, so, um, and I like to work. I'm, I'm a, I guess you could call a workaholic, you know, to some degree. And, um, so I guess that's why I'm always like, let's go out and get it on. You know, this is, this is what I dreamed about, you know, and, and like, you can't you can't be in this business anymore in the rock game and not be on the road and make a living you you know it's just you can't do it you know yeah it is the business is all on the road but i want to go back to something you said which is a huge soapbox issue for me and a huge peeve and i've been calling it out now for probably over a year and i think it's incredibly right. dangerous and and just the most unrock and roll thing i've ever seen but you and i have both been out there at these festivals and these shows where every other band yeah. is basically hot maybe half of what you're hearing is even live it's it is the most ridiculous thing and when i when i you know it's funny man because i was seeing a lot of people the VMAs just aired the other night, and everybody's like, oh, look at all these pop guys. They're just lip syncing. And I said to everybody, I said, and even on social media, I said, wow. you know what? Before you start saying how ridiculous that is, take a close look at the band you love, because chances are they may be doing the same exact thing, and it's got to stop in rock. For a guy like you who goes out there, good night, bad night, 100% real live band, when you step off that stage yeah. and the ba- and you don't have to name names if you don't want to, but the band before or the band after you at a festival is coming out there sounding pitch perfect because you know they're running all tracks. That's got to make you out of your mind. If I put the work in like you do to make Buck Cherry a real live rock band, and then the guys after you got to hear backstage from everybody how great they sounded when you know that singer was singing to a track, that that would make me lose my mind. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, I'm right there with you, you know, uh, and I and I think it's a large reason why that rock is just not in the mainstream anymore. It's just because you take spontaneity out of a, a show doing that. There's no, you know, because when when you're playing the tracks, you got to be basically on a grid the whole show. So you, you can't be really spontaneous anymore. And so when this happens, it really creates, you don't create like these rare, really charismatic frontmen, in my opinion. So, um, and, and if you look at it, like the last decade of the rock star, like the rock singer was the nineties, you know, that's it. I mean, look how many great like singers we had in the nineties. We had Chris Cornell and Eddie Vedder and Kurt Cobain and, and Zach De La Roca and, and all these guys that were just at Lane Staley. I mean, the list goes on. And then, like the 2000s, I mean, I know that there's a lot of bands out there doing it, but, I mean, they're faceless and they're forgettable, and I couldn't even tell you if they were standing right in front of me, you know? And when you go to the show, what the audience is getting is um, 
They're getting pre-recorded backup vocals that are perfectly in tuned. Some of these lead singers are not singing the entire show, the, the entire lead. And I'm not going to name names, but we were on uh, we were on the road with a particular band. And I went out to front of house and I was like, just to watch their show a little bit. And I was like watching the singer and I'm like, my God, I can't even hear this guy take a breath. And he is singing so perfect. I... I, I'm, I I was blown away. And then I'm like talking to my tour manager after the show. I'm like, this guy is like singing so perfect. I can't even hear him take a breath. I'm like, I was pretty impressed. And he goes, oh, you know why? Because he wasn't singing that. <laughs> for, the, for the songs in their set, he's not even singing the lead vocal. I go, what? I, I just, I didn't know. And then And then you'd go and you'd start looking at the production. And then there's like some dude underneath the stage on Pro Tools who's basically sending, you know, all these, all, you know, the whole entire set to these guys uh, in-ear monitors, you know? And, and, um, but anyways, like that's big rock now. And like every, every like major arena rock band pretty much is, is doing that. You know what I mean? Not, not lip syncing the lead vocal, but, but dealing with. But some are doing that too, Josh. Some are doing that too. Yeah, I know. And you know what? It's it's super easy to hit a note when you have a perfectly in-tuned vocal running through your headphones. You know what I mean? Your your in-ears. So, and it just, for a guy like me who's going up there who's, you know, uh, doing it without all that every night. And But, I mean, that's part of what Buck Cherry's charm is all about. I mean, that's part of the why reason people love us, too, as well, you know. Um, because when you go to the show you're getting a live experience for, you know, 100%. We even had shirts that said on the back, 100% live, you know? Well, you um, should, you should own that. I've said this, every band that's like Buck Cherry that is actually putting the work in. And, and I can only speak as a fan, but as a fan, first of all, as a fan, if I find out a band that I love is tracks, I'm out. I have no interest in seeing, <laughs> be, I'll be honest. I don't care how much I love them because I, I feel like I'm being cheated the whole essence for me uh, as a fan to see a live rock band is to hear them have a good night and not so good night. If somebody's singing backing vocals and they're a little off mic, I want to hear that. I have no problem. Exactly. I have no problem with a band having a couple extra musicians on the road, real live human beings like Aerosmith or whatever, because they fill out the sound. But when I'm hearing a tape, it, it, it makes me bonkers and it makes me bonkers as a fan, as a fan, when I take calls on this show and people are like, Oh man, this band sounded so good. The other band, oh, not so much. And I'm like, you idiot, because that band is completely faking it. And the band you're saying was just okay. You actually got what you paid for, which is actually a live show. Dude, I'm out of my mind about it. It's got to stop. And any band like yourself, that actually does it, you absolutely should take pride and ownership in it because it's your only way to let these people know what's going on without calling out the hypocrisy around you. Yeah, but if, if a guy like me who does that makes me sound like I'm a guy who's not getting on with it, you know what I mean? And I don't want to be that guy. I just want an even playing field right. to go out there when, when I'm with a bunch of other acts, you know? Um and you're absolutely right. You know, you, it's it's really hard to compete with perfectly pre-recorded tracks, you know, that don't have a flaw in them. But I think this is what's going to eventually happen. Eventually, 
Uh, and it's already happened, and people have made big deals about it online when somebody's track uh, goes haywire during yeah. the set. And uh, that that's happened on a few separate occasions with a few different acts. And, and when that starts happening more, maybe people will care more about it because, you know, when you tell people this, they don't really care, you know? That's like, what's like scary. The audience, they, yeah, they don't really care. So, That's what's scary you know, is the indifference about it. The bands that have gotten busted doing it, it's all over the internet, and people just looking the other way and not caring. That's what blows my mind. It's like, how do you not care? That's the whole essence of rock and roll being stripped away. Lizzie Hale, and, and you know, a lot of the artists that are real, like Lizzie, like yourself and others, they vent yeah. to me about she, it all the time. A great, a great singer. Yeah, and Lizzie said to me once, she was at a festival and, and she was asked to go up and, and jam with the band. I, free, I honestly forget which band it was. And they had to call it off because they couldn't, like, resequence the tracks in time. I'm like, what the fuck is that's that? Ridiculous. That's not rock and roll, man. <laughs> like, that's the crazy shit it's the most it is the most unrock and roll thing in the world and for all the rock fans this past week who've been making fun of the pop artists on the vmas don't throw the stones too far without checking your own bands you love because it's bullshit what's no. going on it really is man you're, ab you're absolutely right like that is that is rock now that is rock so you know yeah you can't you can't really talk shit about that the last thing on this and we'll talk about other stuff but uh, but last thing on this which i, I want i've been telling some people about like tom Kiefer was on my show last week tom is a hundred percent real he has two female backing vocalists to cover all the backing vocals like it's a real band he puts so much into what he's doing it's incredible to, to so much That's for great. his voice i mean so there are there are a lot of people that still do it like you and tom and lizzie and these folks that are actually doing everything real but uh, I told yeah, I like I like him. I told Tom, and you know even Rival Sons who are amazing, all these bands I love. So there's a lot of guys that are the real deal. But here's yeah. the, here's the thing. I uh, I told Tom, I don't play a note of anything, Josh, and I can't sing. I can't play nothing. But if people continue to accept these bands that are these track fests and pay all this money to go see them and talk about how great they sound. I'm putting together my own band and I'm going to be totally transparent about it, that it'll all be on tracks and I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be like, Hey, I can't play a note. I can't sing a note, but I'm going to sound great every night. And if you're paying for it for everybody else, why not come see me? Cause I guess it doesn't matter. And Tom offered to write all the songs for me. So I'm going <laughs> to, it's going to be my way of exposing the ridiculousness of this if it doesn't stop. And I do think like yourself and me and others talking about it actually does put some heat on these guys that are doing it to say, oh shit, they're starting to come on to us a little bit. We maybe should knock it back a little if we don't want to be exposed. No, I guarantee you it's not going to stop. <laughs> well, that sucks. I can, I can guarantee that. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some other stuff, man. War Paint's been out for a little bit. How's the record going for you? Man, it's such a great record. Uh, we worked really hard on it. Uh, we wrote over 30 songs for an 11-song record, and it really paid off. You know, it was very reminiscent of the time period before 15, you know. I mean, almost identical. You know, we had uh, we'd gone through lineup changes, and it had been three years since our last record, and and we just knew we, we, we had to make a really, really great record. Not like we're not always, we don't always have that mentality, but this one was really personal. And, 
Stevie and I worked uh, around the clock for a long time uh, working on this. And, you know, we had a lot of uh, songwriting experience together making the uh, Josh Todd and the Conflict record, which is a great record as well, before this. So um, it was really a labor of love. You know, Stevie's like super talented guy and never really got an opportunity to showcase his talents, you know, with the past lineup. So um, at this point in time, it was like, you know, he was ready. And, and like I said, we, we created our songwriting language when we made the uh, conflict record. So by the time we got to the Buck Cherry songwriting uh, table, it was, it was, uh, we were just off to the races. Stevie came on most people's radar when he joined the band with the whole resurgence with 15, but you actually knew him before that. You guys have long history, right? That's correct. Yeah. I met Stevie when I was 19 and, uh, when I first moved to LA, uh, we worked together. We were at, a I worked at this used clothing store called Aardvarks and he was working there and, and, uh, we became roommates at that point. We were super good friends and, and he was always doing something else musically. Never, we never even discussed ever being in a band together at that point, because you know we were just. Uh, I was doing, you know, the rock thing, and he was at that time. He was like super. You know, he's a big Prince fan, and he was doing kind of like a his own solo type Princey stuff. You know, Stevie sings as well. So, um, yeah, we were just really good friends, and we had been friends all along. And then finally, just you know, the stars aligned. Now, uh, War Paint is significant because this was the first record you ever made without Keith Nelson, who left the band and was your right-hand guy and your songwriting partner for the entire history of the band. Talk a little bit about that. I mean, how did that feel? What was that experience like going into making uh, your first album without Keith? You know, it is a really smooth transition because Stevie and I, prior to Keith's departure, we had when we were out on the road, we were just like, we were really wanting to be creative and we had been out there for a long time. And it was just weird being a Buck Cher- in Buck Cherry at that time with the band members. And, and so, I mean, me and Stevie were like walking through a target parking lot on a day off. And I'm like, I want to, you know, I want somebody to, I need to find somebody who makes beats. You know, I want to make an electronic little EP for this clothing line. I got spray gun war. And he's like, I can make beats. And I go, okay, make me a beat. And that's where it started. And so we collaborated and made the Spray Gun War um, into the Blackness uh, EP, which was amazing. And we had a lot of fun doing it. It was super organic. We did it all out on the road, laptops and, and everything, and we put all the songs together. And, and we, made a, we put our own money and made a really uh, cheap video for this uh, song, uh, Oh My God and uh, OMG. And that's out on the internet. You can check it out. But uh we had a lot of fun doing it and that's where we kind of just started collaborating and then all this stuff kind of happened. I mean, we, we kind of knew what was going to be eventually happening with the, with Buck Cherry at that time. So by the time we got off the road, um, we had to give Buck Cherry a rest cause we had over toured. We had just been out there for too long. So that's when we decided I wanted to make the, the Josh Todd and the conflict record and year of the tiger. And I went back to my roots. Uh, all my early bands were, four-piece bands and more aggressive and I wanted to make a more aggressive record and and Stevie knew it Stevie knew my my whole foundation and where I came from because he's known me since I was 19 so we uh we started making the uh conflict record and, and that's where we really 
um, hit our stride as far as songwriting. And, and, and then, so by the time we got to the Buck Cherry, like I said, the Buck Cherry songwriting uh, table, it was, it was effortless and fun. And we had already kind of worked out our language, our songwriting language, and it was great. You said the end of Buck Cherry, the, the final version of the last lineup with, with Keith in it was weird. Did you, did you guys know on that last run of touring and, and sort of feel and even talk out the fact that he was going to leave and that it was, it was kind of over between the two of you, or did it come as a surprise? It sounds well, like you kind of knew it. Yeah, we, all, we kind of knew it. It was kind of unspoken and you could just, you could just feel dudes kind of like plotting their out, you know, and, um, I, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming for three years actually. And, um, so, so when it happened, it wasn't really a, a big surprise and, and we just got on with it, you know, like we always do. And we've done that throughout the whole history of Buck Cherry. And you know what? I, I always just wanted to be in one band for my whole career and make a catalog of music and really make my mark. And did I want a revolving door of musicians? No. And what a lot of people don't know is that m- most of the lineup changes with Buck Cherry are guys that have quit. It's not that we fired guys and that, you know, the, that we have, you know, or we're just like loose cannons and we just fire people all the time. It's, it's not what's going on. It's like we wear people out and then they, then they just, <laughs> they don't do it any, they, I mean, if you look at the guys who have left the band, they really haven't done aside from Yogi, who was a hired gun, uh, he wasn't a guy that was in the original lineup. The guys who have left Buck Cherry have really not done much as far as being in a touring band um, in the music business since. So, you know, it just goes to show you that those guys wanted to leave because they didn't want to, you know, do it and tour and do and be away from home and do all those things that we got to do. And you replaced Keith with Kevin. uh, I don't, I don't know if I'm saying his last name right. Ron gun. Is that how you say it properly? Kevin, Kevin Rankin. Rankin. Yeah. So yeah. Where, where, how did that come about? So this is what's cool about all of it. Um, you know, Kelly Lemieux, our bass player, we've known him from way back in the day when he was in the electric love hogs and, and then he was in Goldfinger and we, we've, we've all known him around town. Right. And so he eventually got in the band. And so that was cool. And, you know, like I said, Stevie, I knew when I was 19, well, when Stevie and I were roommates, we went, we would go out and see this, this, everybody said, you got to see this band soul, you know, this, this really great rock band soul. And they would play all these underground like events in Hollywood and we would go and it would be crazy. And there'd be like, it, it was just so crazy at these shows. Right. And Kevin was the guitar player and singer of that band and just really, really talented guy, lovely human being. And so we became friends with all the soul guys and and Kevin was always around and we knew Kevin and, and he had been in a few bands after the fact. Soul Soul never got their shot, um, which is so unfortunate. They were really great. And then he was in a few other bands uh after that that had that had been signed and and Was he, he in American Pearl? Josh was he he, he was in American Amer- American Pearl. Yeah, I love that record yeah, actually. He was in American Pearl and um God, there's another band he was in uh in in the UK, I forget, forget their name, but, um, anyways, so cut to, yeah, we had to make a replacement. We were kind of tossing around a few ideas and Stevie called me and he goes, you know what? Kevin wants to do this. And I go, what? 
He goes, I go, Kevin Rankin? And he goes, yeah, he wants to do this. And I go, are you sure he's going to be okay, like, not being the singer of the band? And he's like, he's like, no, he's fine with it, He and, and he wants to do it. And I go, okay, well, that's a no-brainer. Let's do it, you know? And, and literally, that was it, you know, because I just know – I know Kevin's history and I know him as a human being and, and he's, he's what I call a lifer. You know, I only wanted lifers around me. And what I mean by that are guys that they're going to be doing this until the day they die. That's it. This is what they do. This is what they wanted to do. And, and, uh, they don't have one foot in one foot out. And, and so, um, Kevin's a lifer. I'm a lifer. Kelly's a lifer. You know, Francis is a lifer and Stevie's a lifer. And and it's like we get along so well now. And it's the best it's the best musicians that that have ever been in Balcheri. You know, like you should. I don't know if you've seen the band lately, but like the backing vocals are ridiculous. Right. And and real. And, you know, just. (laughs) Yeah. And real. And the musicianship is just, you know, Kelly is a tremendous bass player. And he and, and Francis is a really great drummer. And they are. They are totally synced. And then we got these powerhouses on guitar. They're both great guitar players and they both have really good pitch and they can sing really well, you know? So it has stepped up my game as well. So, so now it's like, and we've already done over a hundred shows on the war paint record. We've been out since January. We've done like 120 shows and we still hang out together and we still like to be around each other. So Josh, the radio song, which is the current single from War Paint, I know you guys put a video yeah. out for that, which you shot in Vegas. I love Vegas. It's my favorite city. Really cool to see that footage yeah. downtown like that. Uh, so talk a little bit about all that. Uh, and obviously, you know, being a lifelong radio guy, uh, making a song called Radio Song is always a good way to butter up the people that might be playing it. So I thought that was, it reminded me of when Autograph did Turn Up the Radio, you know, it was like right in the sweet spot of what radio programmers want to hear. <laughs> well, I didn't think of it that way. I was, I always, uh, always in my head, I was like, man, I want to write a song about, about the radio and about how important it was for me as a kid. Like, you know, uh, the radio really kind of bookmarked our, our summers, you know, what was going on that summer and, and what girl we were with or, or what we were doing at that time and the parties or whatever. And so we always knew what we were doing by what hit was on the radio at that time. You know what I mean? And, and it was, uh, it was just a very special part of growing up for me, you know? So I wanted to write, I wanted to capture that in song. And, um, and so I always had that on my mind. And then we were, then we cut to, we're writing, uh, for war paint and I'm taking a shower and a lot of, I get a lot of melodies in the shower. So I always keep my phone outside the shower on the, on the counter and to record, you know? And so, um, I just had this melody, the radio song melody came to me, the verse melody and the chorus melody. And, and, uh, I was hitting on something. So I got out, I got out of the shower and I recorded it on my iPhone and I ran down, ran downstairs cause I was like super inspired, you know? And, um, I wrote the thing in like an hour, right? I just wrote all the lyrics in, you know, just about an hour. And, and, uh, I went to Stevie the next day and I'm like, all right, let's find a tempo. And I'm like, I want this to be uh Buck Cherry's purple rain, you know, and let's find a tempo. And, and we found a tempo and then I just sang it down acapella, you know, like I just sang the whole song down and then I gave it to Stevie and Stevie, uh, you know, I go, I go, 
I kind of just gave him some direction on the music. And then I came back the next day and he had put together this great musical composition and, and added some bridge music. And I finished the lyrics uh, and melodies to the bridge. And that song wrote it so- itself really quick. And it's like, it's one of the highlights of the set every night. Do you remember, you must, everybody does, the very first time you heard Buck Cherry played on the radio? I do, yeah. We were on our um we were on our first record tour of course and um we uh we were doing we were in the van at that time and, and the the weird thing about what was going on is Lit Up was Lit Up was our first single, you right. know, and so we played this big we played this this convention called the McGavin Convention. I think that's what it was called. But McGaffey? It was on the East Coast. Well, it was either it was McGaffey. either McGaffey yeah. or Gavin. There's two. One's you put you put them together, so it was probably either McGaffey or Gavin. Okay, maybe it was McGaffey. I don't know. It was this radio convention, right? And we played it, and you know, we just brought the house down, right? And and everybody was the buzz was going on Buff Cherry, and and you know and. And then we were going to radio with Lit Up, and and that's that's all we knew. So we, you know, I, I just remember our manager and our label saying, "You guys got to kill it at this at this show because all the radio guys are going to be there, and if you do that, it's going to make our life a lot easier at radio." And I go, "Okay, well, you know, whatever." And so we we went there and we do what we do every night. We just give it all we got, you know, and 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 then right after that, we were leaving to go to Europe to go to Europe for the first time and open up for KISS for a month, right? So we leave the United States. We go to Europe we to open up for KISS for a month. The whole time, Lit Up is like going to radio and gaining all this steam at radio, and we didn't even know what was going on, right? I mean, we, you know, our managers would tell us, uh, oh, yeah, Lit Up is getting picked up on a lot of radio stations. It's doing really well. And we were like, okay, but we didn't know what that meant, you know, and – and so we came back and our, we had a show in, like, uh, in New Jersey somewhere. And they're like, hey, you got this show and it's sold out tonight. And I go, sold out? And they're like, yeah. And I go, how can it be sold out? We've never even been here. And they're like, well, Lit Up is blowing up at, at the radio here. They've been playing Lit Up uh, on the radio station and they sold the place out. I go, wow, you know, and we <laughs> So we played this show. It was like Animal House. There was like girls dancing on the bar tables. It was crazy. And that night, we're driving in the van to the next location, and Lit Up came on the radio, and all of us went quiet. The whole van went quiet, right? And we just sat there and listened to Lit Up for three minutes and 30 seconds and turned it, blasted it, and it was just like, wow, that was amazing, you know? And I just remember that being like a really big moment. Oh yeah, it's a huge moment for just about every band to to have that experience. I imagine it's it's uh you know it's pretty powerful and it's that's amazing, man. That's an amazing story. And the irony of you saying that on the first record you went to open for Kiss in Europe and Lit Up was the single. I'm sure you've heard this before, but people have often said to me the riff in Lit Up is reminiscent of a Kiss song called Shock Me. So it's ironic that that you were working that song while you were actually touring with Kiss at the same time. I mean, literally, that never was brought up or thought about or talked about or not none of that ever happened with with lit up so after when people would tell me that i'd be like 
okay, I understand that you're telling me this, but that's just, you know, <laughs> that, that, was, that wasn't even on our radar writing Lit Up. I literally, we, we wrote Lit Up in like five minutes. I, I came into rehearsal. They were just jamming the music to Lit Up. And I just got on the microphone and started scatting. I came up with a melody right away. And I just, in my head, I'm like, I'm just going to make this a party song. It's like a total rock song. So I'm going to make it about the first time I did cocaine. And I wrote it that, that day, wrote the whole thing, and that was it. You and the, the irony of that, and the irony of that for people that don't know, is I think a lot of people interpreted you at that time singing I love the cocaine, I love the cocaine, as being like this party drug guy. But at that, by the time you wrote that and were singing that, you had already gotten that out of your system, right? I wrote, I wrote Lit Up Sober, and I've been sober ever since. I've been sober uh, 24 years. Right, so it's about your life prior to the recording of the song. Yeah, but believe you me, I did a lot of cocaine, so I can, uh, uh, you know, I did it real good, and that's why I had to get sober, you know? Right, So, you, but you're singing about what you were, what you were at that time, not what you, what was, not what you were. You were, you were singing about the I past. Was singing about, I was singing about the turning point, the magical moment that day that I did a line of cocaine and I could drink more. That's what I was singing about. <laughs> I was fired up. What was the magical day that came that made you stop? Uh, my first child was born, my daughter. And I, um, I, I had this little baby in my, my, my arms, and I was stoned, like holding her, beating her, and I was high. I wasn't drinking, but I was high, and I just had this moment of clarity. And I looked down at her, and I just didn't want her to ever see me high or fucking drunk. And I was a horrible alcoholic, horrible. You would not even recognize me. I, at one point, I had gotten alcohol poisoning. And even when I had that moment of clarity, I still couldn't stop. And then, but I wanted to stop, but I didn't know how to. And I shortly after that got arrested uh, down in Orange County. I got a DUI. Um, and I blew a .21 blood alcohol, and that was like six hours after my last drink because I had already passed out on somebody's floor somewhere. I got up. I got back in my car. I started driving to my mom's uh, condo down there, and uh, it was like 4 in the morning once I got pulled over. So maybe it was I got pulled over. I just remember rolling down my, my window, and the cop was like, had it been like five feet from my window and he goes how much have you had to drink so it was just like pouring out of my pores and my car I, I he, he smelt it that far from the window he arrested me on the spot didn't even I didn't even do a breathalyzer or anything until I got to Orange County Jail which was another 45 minutes so maybe five hours after my last drink I blew I blew a point two one. so which is really high and um, I got court ordered this lady that, um, assigned me all these AA meetings to do on top of the ones I had to do for my program, my DUI program. So that's when I'm like, I didn't even know, I didn't even know how to get sober. I didn't know there was AA. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know people were living sober or anything. So, um, I went for it, you know? So you went through the program and, and, and you went that way. It wasn't like a cold turkey thing. It was a, it was a process. Took a little while. 
Oh no, I, I, I went to AA meetings and then some guy stood up and he was like, just, uh, he didn't look like me. He had like a, just a regular nine to five job and he went up there and told my story and I like really, it really crushed me, you know? And, uh, I, I raised my hand as a newcomer that day and, and, and then I just started doing the program and I just jumped in and I, you know, I've been doing it ever since. I still go to meetings to this day. I still go to like three or four a week. Well, congrats, man. 23 years. That's amazing. And that's, that's, that's an awesome accomplishment. I'm glad that the light came on and we still got you, still got there, you know, you out there kicking ass, making all these great tunes and uh, putting in all these great shows. One more quick thing. Yes, sir. I was talking about this earlier when we talk about the history of Buck Cherry, and I've been there since the beginning. I, I remember that first record coming out and how refreshing it was compared to what else was going on at the time. And then I remember how much I loved Time Bomb and how much Time Bomb tanked. And I was stunned by that. Yeah. I was saying earlier, I've never seen a band come out with such a great buzz and such a great vibe coming off a couple big songs and videos from the first record stage is set perfectly for the second record to me as a fan you guys delivered on every level as far as the record and the quality of it and the songs and the sound and just i remember going to see you guys at irving plaza on the time bomb tour and uh just stunned that that record just didn't whatever happened didn't happen or whatever didn't happen with that record. What is your take? Because it, it I, I don't know if I've seen a case where the cliff fell off so severely. Same record label, same everything. What that? What happened? Because I know you still do stuff from Time Bomb. I know you stand behind the record as well and, and like it. Why? What went on there? I mean, it, it led to the end of the band for a while. Yeah. Well, that wasn't the reason the end of the band happened, but. Uh, uh... Time Bomb was a, a great record, you know, and it was a perfect example of record label politics because, you know, without getting too far into it, we had an A&R guy that wanted us to do something different. And he wanted us to, we, we did a song called Anything, Anything for a Road Trip Soundtrack, which was a drama-rama song, and it was a cover song. And we just ripped it out. It was a demo, and, we, and, we, and they wanted it on the uh, Tom Green Road Trip movie soundtrack. So... We just gave it to them. And our A&R guy at the time wanted, he loved the song and he wanted us to, we, we did, we labored over all this songwriting and we recorded and we did all this work. We have this beautiful record and we're about to go on the street with this record. And he's like, I love the record guys, but I want to, I want to start with this song, anything, anything. And I was like, what? Like you want to start with a cover song, you know? And then that's when I said, Hey, if you don't like our record, that's fine. We'll just keep writing songs until you guys feel that we have the record. But we want to go out there and be Buck Cherry. We want to we want to release uh, our own songs. You know, like that's not something that we wanted to do. We did that for for fun to to give to a, you know a movie soundtrack, and it fit the it fit the situation at the time. But it wasn't something that we wanted on our record. You know, and and so there was this power struggle, right? And I felt like it was a fair compromise. Like, Hey man, we want to make our own music. You signed us to make our own music. We've had success with our own music on our first record. We gave you guys the first gold record on this late on this label. And so, you know, like, let us 
put out our own music and you know if you if you're not feeling our record we'll give you more songs and then that's when he was like no it's fine we like we like your record and let's just go with your record and then got absolutely no more support after that and so time bomb got like no more love and wasn't pushed and we went from we went from heroes at our label to zeros it was weird we'd come off the road and we'd walk through the same building where everybody was we knew everybody and everybody was smiles to like they acted like they didn't know us you know it was so weird and such a drag and um you know at that time three of the three of the band members had left so one guy quit on the road and then the two other guys quit later and it was just Keith and I writing writing demos and DreamWorks wasn't dropping us. They didn't want to drop us. And it was just really a strange thing, you know? So at that time, you know, Keith and I just kept writing and we were like trying to find the right band members, you know? Well, of course, uh, Weird. The, yeah, it, it was. And uh, and the resurrection of the band is a whole nother story that we, we don't have time for, but talk about, you know, picking yourself up and doing it yourself and, I'll never forget Keith start sending me songs. You guys had no label. You had no management, no nothing. Had come back together to do 15. Uh, I remember him, the yeah. next thing, there was a Japanese-only deal. I remember him sending me a Japanese CD. I'm like, wow, cool. There's at least something new from Buck Cherry I have on CD. The record was great. Yeah. And then I remember him telling me, you guys got management, and that the fir- I had known the record inside out because he was sending me stuff as you were doing it for 15. But I remember yeah. him saying to me, yeah, they want to go with this song Crazy Bitch as the lead single. And I'll be honest, I remember saying, that's the worst idea I ever heard. They can't play that song. Nobody's going to play that song. And it shows what I know because it became your you know signature song. But I never... That's not the actual story. The actual story is Next to You was the first single. And we were about to we were about to do a video for next to you, and as soon as we started doing that, this is the time when MySpace was happening. Well, on our MySpace, there was like there was almost a million listens of Crazy Bitch on MySpace, and we were like, "What is going on with this song? Like, it's happening totally organically." And and then and then a radio programmer took Crazy Bitch and edited it and put it on the radio and it started just blowing up on its own. And we're like, we cannot go with next to you. We got to jump on crazy bitch. It's already happening. And we're, we're not even doing anything, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's exactly how crazy bitch happens. Uh, it's amazing. It truly is. And, and it's still the big moment in the show. Every time you guys play it, it's, it's amazing. Well, listen, man, it's yeah. good. It's good catching up with you. I know we've run into each other at some festivals and stuff recently, and it's just everyone's schedule so crazy. I haven't had a chance to talk to you a little bit on the air and on the on the record about War Paint and everything going on with the band now. So I'm glad we're able to do it. Everybody check out the new single from War Paint. It's called Radio Song. The video came out yesterday. And as I mentioned, uh, buckcherry.com for tour dates, which there's always some tour action going on with the band. Uh, good talking to you, man. Enjoy the time off with the family before you hit it again. It's uh, good catching up. Hey, great talking to you. And, and um, yeah, it's been a long time. And so next time I see you, make sure you say hello. Maybe we'll get some food. Yep, sounds like a plan. All right, Josh, take care, man. All right, see ya. See ya. There he goes, Josh Todd, everybody. Thanks to Josh for checking in. 
Good to talk to him. Check out the new Buck Cherry album, War Paint, which is out there now. And that band is always, always on tour. So you can be sure to uh, look for a date coming near you. Thanks earlier in the podcast to King Diamond for joining me this week as well. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to Katie Irizarry, our producer. And I'll see you guys next week for another all-new Eddie Trunk podcast, free as always on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. And be sure to follow me on Twitter, at Eddie Trunk, for up-to-the-second news info and updates. And be sure to visit eddietrunk.com. All sorts of music news there, and all my appearances are on the homepage. Don't forget Instagram as well, at Eddie Trunk. Have a great week. See you guys next Thursday for another all-new episode. season is here and it's time to dominate the competition with your fantasy picks and rj bell's dream preview on podcast one sportsnet is your secret weapon to victory i said the fact they didn't run it up in week one tells me this guy is so confident he wants to hide his strength no matter the matchup rj's got you handled with top-notch analysis for the best nfl picks around now is that true or not i don't know very optimistic download rj bell's dream preview every week on apple podcasts and podcast1.com hear that it's the call of the crave and when the crave calls you know what to do try the five dollar bacon bundle because the only thing better than a white castle slider is a white castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon so pick any two of either the bacon cheese slider 1921 bacon cheese slider or chicken bacon ranch slider and also get a small fry for just five dollars with the five dollar bacon bundle white castle follow your crave